Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Thursday, April 27th edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm Mike Pearson, joined today by Delaney Howell. Delaney, it is hard to believe it is April 27th. It is currently like 35 degrees outside I know. here in the great state of Iowa. I know. I'm not very happy about it. No, I saw a post on Twitter, and I, I would give a shout-out if I could remember who said it. But uh, they said it's a beautiful November day, which is true. <laughs> 35 I know, and gray. I, and... I really wanted to go golfing this weekend, and I do not think that that's going to happen. No, no. I, I think that is not in the cards because it's not no. supposed to get back above 60 until, like, next Saturday. Is that right? Mm, it's I don't a long know. ways away. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, it's miserable. And we do have freeze warnings and frost warnings in effect uh, as of Thursday morning through southwest Iowa into mm. parts of Nebraska and Kansas. But uh, the market, you know, hasn't been responding too much on the wheat side. Yeah. He's getting too worried about this cold yet. But, I mean, if it lasts that long, there's a possibility of... Is there a possibility of not germinating, like seeds that farmers are planting? Isn't that isn't that a concern? Yeah, it is a concern, but the the four inch temperature has to get pretty low. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and stay that way. Okay. More than likely, I mean, you'd see maybe a decrease in your stand, and you just have a lot of delayed emergence. It probably adds some variability, but uh, yeah, gosh, cold and cold and wet, not a fantastic uh, place for seeds to be mm-hmm. sitting in. And so I know a lot of producers were just on the fence yesterday going, geez, do I get out there and put some seed in the ground since I know these next 10 days are going to be wet and who knows what the future holds? Or do I wait, cross my fingers that uh, things will get better? And, you know, I guess we will. uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what else is going on in your world, Delaney Howell? What else is going on in my world? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Not a whole lot. I got some stuff going on at, at my other job at Iowa Public Television. My grad classes are wrapping up for this semester. Good. Other than that, I don't have a whole lot. You going to be on the dean's list? Yeah, I know. I'm really excited. I have, well, cross my fingers, but I have a 4.0 so far. And after I'm done here in a week and a half, I will be, I think, a third of the way through with my master's. Wow, with a 4.0. I know. I didn't work that hard in undergraduate. <laughs> Man. You know, I always loved uh, having a 4.0. I had a 4.0. Let's For like see, a day? That Yeah, that very first day of freshman year. <laughs> uh, I had a 4.0 GPA, and my goodness, that was exhilarating. I bet it was. Well, that's very exciting, Delaney. I'm sure it everybody is, is uh, very proud of you for uh, yeah putting that kind of effort in. That's. I don't think people really know I'm doing it. Oh, well, I mean, my parents and my family and all the listeners my friends, here to Ag News Daily I'll, Yeah, that's right. Now they know. We're all proud of you. So keep well, up the you. good work. Let's see. We've got any uh, any news on the radar today? Well, I think the big thing that we should start with is President Trump's announcement that NAFTA is not going to be terminated. He um, reached out to or I guess had a conversation with. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and President Enrique Nieto of Mexico, and they both, or all three, I guess, have come to a term that they're going to renegotiate NAFTA as opposed to terminate the agreement. So that's looking optimistic. 
It is. And, you know, it's been fascinating to read a lot of the news coverage on this. And, and mm-hmm. I certainly can't read uh, Donald Trump's mind. But uh, it seems like half of the uh, commentators, whatever you want to call it, are saying that, yo, Trump is backing down. He's he said he'd pull out an after and now he's not going to. And the other half is going, hey, he's a negotiator. He said, look, we're going to get out an after. And all of a sudden, uh, Trudeau and Peña Nieto are like, whoa, hey, let's talk. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how people sort of project their uh, their own preferences onto the leader. But at the end of the day, Delaney, you're exactly right. We're not pulling out of NAFTA, or at least Trump's comment was not at this time. Are we pulling out of NAFTA? Well, and he did. There was a tweet he sent out this morning that said, I guess it was a two part tweet. The first part was saying he had received a call from the president of Mexico and prime minister of Canada. And he, in his second tweet says, subject to the fact that if we do not reach a fair deal for all, we will then terminate NAFTA. So he's still leaving that door open. I just think he's considering the idea of renegotiating and still going to try to get the best deal for the U.S. Sure. And uh, I think you could maybe interpret it as, you know, Delaney, well, you've bought new cars. How do you get yeah. the best deal on a car? Um. Well, I guess I always have bought my cars when they have the five-year 0% APR, so I'm only paying principal. But if you're negotiating... But I also know I also know the car dealer. It's a hometown guy that is friends with my parents, so I usually work with him or his son, and I guess we get the quote-unquote friends discount. Sure, but the best way, if you're negotiating, is to be willing to walk away, right? Mm-hmm. If, if they don't come not, to your that's price... That's not what you've done. You just walk away. What are you talking about? I'm always willing to walk away. No, no, no. Remember the the story you always tell at your speeches about the first truck you ever bought? Well, he thought I was going to walk away. That's why he gave me a great deal. Was it a great deal? Well, no, not in hindsight, but I thought it was a great deal at the time. (laughs) I know you did. And that's what matters. It's all about perception. For, For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, Mike bought a, what was it, a red crappy was it, it a was, Chevrolet? It was a 1990 Chevy 2500. Yeah, and it was engine. a pile, wasn't it? It was a work truck that had seen better days, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, four-wheel drive worked. Well, we digress a little bit here, but getting back into this NAFTA thing, the other thing I think we need to consider is that we still don't have a trade secretary. Lighthizer still has not been confirmed but I'm hoping, I think everybody's hopeful that he will be confirmed before a renegotiation takes place. Yeah, he doesn't he have to be confirmed? Yes, okay. I believe so. That's what I, I was thinking I'd read that. But uh, mm-hmm. hmm. so hopefully the, the Senate will get that scheduled or the president will put it on the schedule, however that works, and they can get it done. Yes. While we are on the topic of President Trump, so he floated the NAFTA thing yesterday. He also floated a big change in tax policy. Basically, this was his uh, the White House's approach to federal tax ref- uh, uh, federal tax. I want to say return, but that's not what I'm saying. Reform is the word reform. I was trying to think yeah. of. Yes. And um, 
Essentially, the big news for a lot of us in agriculture who have incorporated is that the plan would reduce the tax rate for corporations and most other businesses to 15%, and then it would create just three tax brackets for individuals. The catch is most deductions would be eliminated, except for the standard deduction, and that would be doubled. So we don't know exactly at what dollars the brackets apply to, but here we've got the first I guess, page of discussion. And it was literally a one-page proposal um, to start this uh, this tax reform did, discussion. Did that tax reform discussion have anything about the death tax Yes, in it? so it would repeal the estate tax. Okay. Uh, that would be gone. And there would be a one-time uh, low, lower tax. And I don't believe that it said the amount on repatriating earnings. So like Apple mm -hmm. has, I forget how many billions, call it $80 billion parked overseas. They've earned overseas. They haven't brought back to this country because they don't want to pay the corporate income tax rate on it. Right. So Trump says, or his administration says, look, bring it back over. We'll charge you X, a lower percent, and then we get that money here in this economy. And, uh, you know, hopefully that would uh, improve the economy. Gotcha. Well, uh, another quick story I have. Tyson Foods says it's committed to improving worker conditions, specifically in poultry processing facilities. Um, I think, ooh, I don't remember what year it was now. It's been maybe, a, I think, 2015, I want to say. They were under a lot of heat for having bad worker conditions and uh maybe some animal cruelty as well, but they say that they are working on improving those conditions. And a new goal for them is um, they want to reduce worker injuries and illnesses. Okay. All right. Did they give a timeline on that? Um, let's see here. I'm not sure that they gave a timeline. I don't see one in this article I'm skimming okay. here. Gotcha. And where was that article found, Delaney? I got it out of the Polit Ag Politico newsletter blast, but I saw it yesterday also on maybe AgWeb. Okay, gotcha. And actually, while we're talking about uh, meat processors, there was big news yesterday reported from uh, Drovers. Uh, Cargill has sold its last two cattle feed yards, uh, the one in Leote, Kansas, and uh, one in Colorado, to Green Plains, the ethanol producer. Basically, Cargill has said, we want to remove these, we want to move these dollars into other aspects of protein production. And Green Plains has said, look, we want to grow um, our position in the uh, cattle feeding world. So Cargill went from the fourth largest cattle feeder in the country to not feeding any cattle, and Green Plains is now the fourth largest cattle feeder. And there was a deal signed that all of the cattle from these two feedlots will continue to go through Cargill uh, for processing for the next three years. So that was the, the big news yesterday. And it was interesting because I was reading the High Plains Journal from April 24th yesterday over my lunch. I was just sitting in my chair flipping through it. And I always look at the classified sections. And the uh, Cargill feedlot in Leote was uh, looking for employees. And now, of course, it's hmm. been sold. So it's just, it was That's ironic. Yeah. yeah. yeah That's else. also uh, ironic that you bring up beef because that is the topic of today, of tomorrow's discussion. 
Perfect. And before we get to today's interview with uh, with Margie from Farmher, we did have good news here from export sales reported early Thursday morning. Uh, corn sales were up over analyst expectations. Soybean sales were more than double the analyst expectations. We exported 808 million bushels of soybeans of soybeans. Um, excuse me, 808,000 tons of soybeans in this past week, which is just absurd to be selling it this late in the year. I don't think anybody would have uh, would have imagined that. So a mm-hmm. little bit of good news there. I have not seen how much that moved the markets, but we will get to that, Delaney. What do you think? Yeah, right let's now? get to it. Yeah, let's get to it right now. I would love to talk about the markets. Let's jump right in. We had those export sales reports this morning that provided a little bit of firmness under the grain market. We had the May corn contract finish up three cents, close the day at 362 even. The December contract up two and a half, finishing the day at 386 and three quarters. Over in soybeans, at least no weakness. The May contract was unchanged at 945 and three quarters. The November contract up a half at 954 and a half. Over on the wheat side, maybe that cold snap did induce some folks into buying. We had the May contract, Chicago wheat up five and three quarter cents, finished at 413 and a half. The December wheat contract up five and a half, finished the day at 467 and a half. Now, the big story has been happening over in the cattle trade. That is where things got exciting. Cattle and lean hogs. All of it was very exciting today in live cattle. April contract expires today. It closed up 357 and a half, finishing its contract life at 135.60. The June live cattle contract, limit up, closed the day at 121.52 and a half. August, limit up. October, limit up. December, live cattle, limit up, limit up, limit up. Looking down at feeder cattle, it is same song, different verse. The May contract closed, limit up, finished the day at 146.57 and a half. August contract, limit up, finished at 150.35 even. September, limit up. October, limit up. November, limit up. We had a strong day in the cattle complex. Looking down at lean hogs, finally some strength. Wait on. Finally, some strength in that market. The May contract closed up $2.22.5, finished at $66.90. The June lean hog contract up $2.07.5, closed at $72.82.5. And And so, Delaney, that's where the markets ended. Should we turn it over to our interview for the day? Just to give a little intro to today's interview, we'll be talking to Margie geiler Elanese, and she is the creator of Farm Her, but she also takes on the role of mother, wife, and I believe her uh, husband maybe does something in agriculture, but really this whole Farm Her movement has been her baby, so I'm excited to introduce to you all Margie. We are welcoming now our guest for today, which is Margie geiler Elanese, who is the creator of Farm Her. For those of you that don't know, Margie created Farm Her. Well, actually, I'm just going to let her tell her story. Margie, why did you create Farm Her? Uh, well, I originally started it um, back in 2013. I was fresh off of a career in corporate agriculture that, um, you know, I, I had just come to a point in my life where it was time to move on and figure out what was next for me. And um, that just so happens that that career ended like right at the beginning of February. And that was right at the same time that the Super Bowl 
was on. And there was a commercial on during this Super Bowl, and it was um, a Ram truck commercial set to a speech by Paul Harvey called God Made a Farmer. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that anybody listening to this, yeah, I heard you. Everybody's seen it. It it is one of the most popular commercials of all time, and especially in agriculture. I mean, it it rings true. So um, I saw that commercial along with pretty much everybody else in the United States, I think, and uh, saw it sitting here in my basement, watched it, absolutely loved it, and nothing out of the ordinary struck me when I saw it other than, wow, this is beautiful. Because um, I, I worked in corporate agriculture for a little over a decade. I love photography. I always have. It's just not something I'd done professionally. And so, you know, all these beautiful images set to such powerful words um, really struck me. And um, it wasn't until a, a couple weeks later that I read an article in the Des Moines Register that pointed out how beautiful that commercial really was, but what it was lacking. And it was lacking seriously in um, images of women. And um, the full commercial was about two minutes and 30 seconds. And you really have to look hard to find three women in that commercial. And, um, you know, it kind of hit me when I read that article that, yeah, that is a problem. And, and it wasn't just the Ram commercial. It was anywhere in agriculture. You know, I mean, it's just not real common to see the women who have always been a part of agriculture. Um, I can tell you that I go back through the career that I had, and I didn't spend a lot of time or any time thinking about the impact that women have on agriculture or thinking about, um, you know, their roles or even imagining what those really look like. And so I, uh, I couldn't let it go, obviously. And so I decided um, uh, that night in the middle of the night, it, it, I woke up and I thought, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start photographing these women. I'm going to turn this into a photo project and then I'm going to show people what women actually do in agriculture. And I live here in Iowa. What better place to start doing that? Um, I had no idea how I was going to start doing that, quite honestly. But um, what I did was I Googled a couple of people who were interviewed in that register article and contacted them and asked them if I could come to their farms and just start taking pictures. And they didn't say no. So, <laughs> so Margie, that's how it started. Margie, what do you use? What uh, what would be the definition of a farm her? Is it just a female involved in any aspect in agriculture? Do you want them to be on the production side, large-scale uh, farming operations, primary operators? What are you looking for? Um, you know, it, when it started, I had this idea in my mind that was like, you know, like my grandma, right? Someone on a diversified farm who is involved, um, you know, whatever that involvement might be. But as over the last four years, four years, yeah, um, it has definitely evolved and changed because I've met so many women who have such a diverse set of roles on the farm. I mean, not one farm looks the same as the next. You know, some women, they'll tell me, oh, I just do the books. And I always say, well, if you just do the books, then you just help run the business side of this farm, and, and it wouldn't exist without that. So you are a farm her. And, you know, there's women who climb up in that combine and, you know, harvest thousands of acres of corn. There's women who run the planter. There's, um, you know, th there's women doing all of these things. And so I always say farm, a farm her is not um, 
it, it is all-encompassing. It might be a woman who is a volunteer on a farm and she just shows up to help when she can. It might be somebody who just grows enough food to feed their family. It might be somebody who's working to feed their community. It might be women who are, uh, you know, a part of a farm that feeds, works to feed the entire world. I mean, it's, it's all those different things. And in recent year, the last year, we've really broadened it to include women who are in the professional side of agriculture, too, because that's where I spent most of my time. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels. There's it's still um, the minority. You're still involved in the agriculture industry. And so it really runs the gamut. If, if you're a woman and you're involved in agriculture in any way, shape, or form, then we we care about what you do. We want you to identify with this and um, we want to show what you do through this. Get that story out there. Yep. As a woman in agriculture, I just want to say that I love what you've been doing with this movement. I mean, I think a movement is a good word to describe it, wouldn't you, Margie? Yeah, well, I, I definitely wouldn't have when I started, but now that's a great word and, and it's still like kind of makes me want to pinch myself that it's <laughs> that you would say that it turned into that but yeah it really has because it's it it's more than just photographs now you know it still is based around that image of a woman um whatever her role might be in agriculture but it's the stories about those women it's how they identify themselves it's you know um connecting them with each other it's helping them grow and learn and um, be connected with the greater world of agriculture. And, and yeah, so a movement. Yay. <laughs> Margie, um, can you tell us a little bit about where your farm, her movement, or I'm going to use that word again, where it's gone. I know you're on RFD TV now, but tell us what you have been up to. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's obviously grown and changed a lot since um, that first summer, you know, I, I photographed originally I photographed seven women that first summer and put up this really basic website that I did myself and um, and so started social media pages and just kind of didn't know what would happen from there. And the ball really started rolling. I got some great press. I had people start asking me if we could, if they could buy shirts. And so we started selling merchandise. And that really has been the lifeblood of Farm Her throughout. I mean, the, those shirts have been, um, you know, they spread the word. And... They um, they provide us, you know, I always say they keep the wheels on the bus. And so um, we started doing that. And then, um, you know, as we got a couple of years into it, I got my first intern. So I got some help, um, got my head above water a little bit. And um, we started um, a series of events that focus on young women in agriculture. And then it was about that time that I got this call from RFD-TV and I didn't really know what to do with it at first, you know, a, a discussion about turning what I do um, into a TV show, like, it, my brain couldn't make that jump at first, quite honestly. It was like, what? I don't, I don't understand how we would take just, like, I just go to farms and I photograph women. <laughs> and I talk a lot, <laughs> so that always works well. But, um, but um, you know, after meeting with Raquel at RCTV, who is now our executive producer and and, you know, talking through this a whole lot, um, we, came, we came up with um, how we think we could take what I had been doing with Farm Her and, um, you know, turn it into a TV show and shine a light on these women and tell 
really, really, really great stories, I think, um, through the addition of the video and through hearing the words from these women, straight from these women, right? So it, it takes the still photos and it basically brings them all to life. Um, so it has been quite a journey to, to get that all done. I mean, so I think in September of 2015 was when we first started talking about um, the TV show. We started filming it in the spring of 2016, so about a year ago right now. And we filmed 26 episodes for the first season, which are still running right now. Um, and that has been a journey, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, I think we've filmed, for those 26 episodes, we visited and filmed 47 women around mm-hmm. the country um, in so many different roles, you know, from a woman who's a president of a large agribusiness organization to um, – you know, someone who's running an urban farm in the middle of Austin, Texas. You know, I mean, it it, it really runs the gamut. And um, it's been, like I said, quite a journey. And um, so remember I said that I used to work in insurance and I have always loved photography. So I guess I would call myself a photographer, but being learning how to be um, the host of a TV show has been uh, quite the experience as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of fun uh, sometimes. It's, uh, it is something new to get used to. Now, Margie, over the past four years, we have seen the ag industry come down off those highs of the 2012, 2013, you know, crazy prices. And we've seen this happen. At the same time, we continue to see women take a larger and larger role in ag, both as uh, as salespeople, as you know, as you mentioned, professional folks in ag, as well as on the farm, working with the women that you have, have you heard any challenges being faced by uh, the women you've talked to here just over the past four years? Have things changed a lot on their operations? Oh yeah, um, there. That's one thing that I hear more often than not are the challenges involved with farming. Um, or ranching, you know, there are highs and lows. There always will be. And and while those were crazy highs, you know, a number of years ago, um, it it always comes down with these women. I mean, that more often than not, I mean, many times, many of the women we meet, it is it is the income for their family, and maybe multiple families um, are supported by that operation. And it has gotten a lot tougher. And, you know, a lot of these women, in fact, just this Friday, there's one that's going to air where this woman plays the role of what I would call the heart of the farm. She, she doesn't get up in the tractor every day, um, but, you know, she works on the financial aspect of it. And how can she make it all work? And it has gotten a lot tougher, you know. And um, I hear people talk about um, having to diversify in other ways, having to get creative about how how they're diversifying and where those income streams can come from. Um, but it, it is a tough, tough, I don't even know that I would call it a line of work. I, I guess I would say it's a tough way of life um, when you are at the mercy of um, markets, you know, and you're at the, what you do might be the same every day, but you have to get better at it and get have to get faster at it and you have to, figure out how to how to make all those ends meet. And so many women, I, I just read an article this morning um, 
I was talking about Australia, but, you know, many of these women are playing multiple roles. They're, for the most part, the farms that I visit, farms and ranches, are family operations. And many, many of these women, you know, they are working, I would say, two full-time jobs. They're working off the farm to make ends meet, and then they're, they're involved on the farm as well. And, um, you know, it, it's just a way of life, and I, I don't think most of them would ever change it. Um, but it, it is tough. Yeah. Margie, did you grow up on a farm? No. Uh, so my grandparents uh, farmed just a little bit north of uh, – I live in central Iowa, and my grandparents farmed just um, about an hour north of here. So my mom grew up on a farm, and my cousins actually still operate that farm today with my uncle. Um, but I did not grow up on a farm. I lived in the country um, here in Iowa growing up, but um, that's about as close as I got. I mean, I, I, my career working in agriculture um, for those 11 years was probably the most experience that I had up until I started from her. And, and since I've started from her, it's been quite eye-opening to see and hear and learn all of the um, things that I've been able to now, uh, Margie, you mentioned you were reading that story about Australia, and that uh, leads me to my next question. Five years, ten years from now, is FarmHer going international? Yeah, we, we will. It's just a matter of time and resources and money. And I am, I am a type of person that really likes to dip my toe in the water um, and make sure that we're going to, you know, FarmHer matters so much to me. I mean, it's, it's like my baby. It's, it's, you know, like my third child. And um, I want it to be successful. I want it to be um, purposeful. I want it to be there for the women who it means something to. And so growing it in a, in a um, sustainable and reasonable way matters to me very much. And so um, we've gotten, I mean, I get emails all the time from people outside of the country, outside the United States, you know, come here, do this. Look what we've got here. And um, while I would love to do that, I still do have two kids here, <laughs> not to mention a TV show that we have to film on a regular basis and a business to run. So, you know, time um, is probably the biggest factor that we haven't done anything with that yet. But um, as, as we've grown and gotten more people on our team, um, you know, it's, it gives me the additional resources and the help to kind of spread that. So you will. You will see us go – um, internationally. I don't know exactly where yet. I think that, um, you know, bringing um, the women of agriculture to to the top of the pile um, outside of the U.S. could have even more impact than for women here in the U.S. because, as you both know, outside of the U.S., the number of women involved in agriculture are far greater um, than than here. And um, the, the difference in their lives are probably far far, far greater as well. So um, we will get there. I, I can't tell you when, but we actually have, um, Farm Her is a trademark in Australia and uh, it's, it's in process in Canada um, because we will go, go outside of the country at some point, but those are not because I had immediate plans to do it. It was because we're protecting our assets in those countries, um, you know, when, as, from her grew. I mean, it's, it's online, so it's everywhere. I mean, anyone, yeah. anywhere can access it. And so um, the really hard part 
as I've learned um, in growing a brand like this um, is, you know, what you have is your brand really at the end of the day. And so protecting those assets uh, have have been a learning experience for sure. Because, you know, um, I get emails from people all the time that want to start something to say, hey, can I use this because I want to do this here. And while I would love, I think the more the merrier in general, um, I would love for everybody to take their own initiative and go do that. It's really hard for me to say, yeah, go do that and uh, use the word farm her in it because that crisscrosses paths with everything that we try to do. So, um, yeah, anyway, long story short, <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. That's all exciting news, Margie. Yeah. Margie, where can people find you on social media or on the web or connect with you? Uh, yeah, so farmher.com, F-A-R-M-H-E-R.com is our website, and that has access to pretty much anything we do. We actually just redesigned it, so there's a great page that you can find links to all the articles and images from the women who have appeared on our television show, um, social media. We are a company, a business, a brand, a movement, whatever whatever the heck it is we are, born out of social media and um, still are very active um, in sharing images and stories. And so if you go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Pinterest, you can find us. Our handle is FarmHer1, the number one. So F-A-R-M-H-E-R number one. All right, Margie. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day today to talk to us. Well, thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yeah, we can't wait to keep following your story and hopefully international someday. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you, Margie. And we will continue to keep an eye out for Farm Her in the news and the world of media going forward. And Delaney, I thought that was pretty fascinating. I did, too. I uh, almost wanted to say, Margie, if you need anybody to go internationally for you, I'm probably your girl. (laughs) (laughs) So you're willing to bail. That's what I'm hearing. No, 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 no. I can do both. I just have a lot of travel. You're already looking for the exit No, I have a lot of travel experience, and that would just be fun and awesome to start something in another country. All right, listeners, you heard it. So if you want to be the co-host of Ag News (laughs) Daily, I suppose go ahead and send in your resume. Uh (laughs) Because it sounds like Delaney's going to be bouncing out of here before too long. Oh, stop. Well, now, uh, while we're talking about running out of here, tomorrow we're going to be talking to a a bit of a fitness pro, aren't we? We are. As mentioned earlier, Darren Williams is uh, Director of Communications for NCBA, but he also does a lot of biking and running and emphasizing that beef is the best protein to get. Sure. So be sure to tune in tomorrow on Friday and be sure to tune in the week after. And to make it all easier on yourselves, just subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play Music and be sure to rate and review us so we know how we're doing. And let us know on Facebook or on Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily what we can do better or what we should be covering. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.